Welcome to episode 11 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogy's contribution to the slivery sub-niche that is genealogy podcasts. I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Nee Lachlan. I seem to bring the weather because it snowed again yesterday while I was getting ready to come online and prepare the podcast. What was St. Patrick's Day coming on this Saturday and me being a teetotaler, I slapped back at the cold Irish style by making a crock pot full of Dublin coddle. Chicken broth, ale, potatoes, bacon, sausage, and onions stewing for hours. And let me tell you, it was freaking delicious. It warmed me to the bones and perfumed the air as I wrote and assembled the episode. So blow on storms, blow on, come at me till mid-April, I don't care. Later on, I think I'll set fire to some old trees and junk mail in the fireplace because I'm a wee bit of a pyromaniac, I will admit. I'm looking forward to spring, but I really do love winter. I love the cold. Also, I intend to complete my assessment of the difference between extra sharp cheddar and seriously sharp cheddar. Hint, I don't think there is any, but I'm going to enjoy trying to figure it out. So this week's humble brag is a nice one. We just blew past the 775 download mark. Zowie. Welcome, Sweden and Israel. And United Kingdom, you are blowing my mind with downloads in six new locations this week. 36 United States locations and 14 nations total across the globe are now listening. Thanks, and I'm so glad that you're here, everybody. I I really appreciate your support. And finally, we have another new supporter on Patreon. Wow. Thank you, Liza. Things continue to grow, and I can't tell you how grateful I am for all of your support. Can you tell I'm blushing a little bit, just a little bit around the edges, but you know I never rest, so I have a favor to ask all of you. If you like the podcast, would you help support me in two key ways? First, share it with a friend who likes genealogy and folklore, and second, rate and review it on iTunes. These are key things to raising awareness of the work that I'm doing here and the work that we can do together when you ask me questions and we find solutions. Thank you so much. And now to this week's fun, another aspect of service to others using genealogy, find a grave, find the spirit. Show of hands out there, how many of you know findagrave.com? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? For those of you who don't, it's a virtual database made up of information from real physical cemeteries, from burials at sea and cremations, from deaths that resulted in gifts to science and other non-burials, and from old cemeteries that were destroyed but that have been recreated from church and cemetery office records. The indexes and records made available by Find a Grave on Ancestry are crowdsourced data. They are only as reliable as headstones engravings, as records written in the cemeteries or churches' offices, as personal papers held by a family, or as an individual volunteer's ability to read a worn stone or a worn page. Data can also be entered into Find a Grave by anyone from any source with virtually no vetting 
formatting or quality control, so not all data on the site is 100% correct. This can mess with your tree when you're importing find-a-grave data into an ancestry tree, but we'll discuss that in another episode. Today, I want to talk in general terms about service that you can perform through find-a-grave. There are some really cool things about Find a Grave that make it completely unique among genealogy websites. First off, a membership is and always will be free. Each memorial or virtual grave has ads on it, and the people who manage individual memorials can choose to pay a small fee to get rid of those ads. It's a different model from any other I've seen on similar spaces. People who volunteer on Find a Grave may do so at any level of involvement that they like. A volunteer can take pictures of graves when asked by the Find a Grave system. A volunteer can make a project of an unrecorded cemetery by mapping and entering every grave and uploading that to Find a Grave, leaving out photographs so that others can take those pictures later. A volunteer can visit a cemetery and, over time, systematically photograph every stone and crypt and memorial and mausoleum they see. There are lots of ways to serve researchers who use the site. Find a Grave started out as a pretty basic computer site, but now it has a very slick phone app, too. With it, a volunteer can enter a cemetery physically, look up a memorial on the app, and not only take and add a photo using the app, but also add the exact GPS coordinates of the grave being recorded or updated. This is important because not every cemetery office provides a map of the cemetery, nor is every office open when visitors stop by. If people seeking to find their own ancestors on a family history field trip need that information but don't have a map, GPS coordinates on a phone app will be crucial. And believe me, there are enormous gaps between what people need and what some cemeteries can or will make available. Let's talk about a bad, bad example of a cemetery. And to do that, let's use the example of a cemetery I know. We'll call this example the cautionary tale of Baldrick's Cemetery. It's not really called Baldrick's Cemetery, but to protect the innocent and the villains alike, let's just say that it is. This cemetery is roughly 160 years old. It's primarily affiliated with one religious institution, but people of a lot of different faiths are buried there. It is 8% photographed at this moment, and it has over 11,000 burials. It turns out that two people I went to school with who died tragically young, both were buried there. I went to Baldrick's to take a photo of a neighbor's grave back in November of 2016, and I wanted to find my friends to leave a stone, pause in remembrance, tell a joke, maybe a little off color, whatever, and to let them know they were missed, you know, as you do. I went to the office where guys were bustling around and they were getting ready to open a new grave. I gave my two friends names and I asked where their graves were. These guys asked me, in what section and what row are your graves located? Well, folks, do you know that stuff when you go into a cemetery? Because I sure as heck don't. And I live in this creepy little genie world. I told them I didn't have the foggiest, but provided the decedents' names and their years of birth, because of course I went to school with them. Then they asked, what month and year did they die? 
And again, I couldn't remember at all. I mean, it was sometime after about 1990 for each of them, but we're talking November 2016 at this point. So I had no idea. And they got irked. Seriously, they got annoyed at me. The one guy left and the other said, our database has been broken for over two years. So the only way I can find the burial is by looking in the calendar for the month and year of the burial. If I find it, if I find it, I can see what day the burial occurred. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Did the handle fall off of his database? Databases don't break. So that's nonsense. What he meant was either that he didn't know what he was doing or that the computer itself was broken. Maybe the database was woefully behind and needed updating. I don't know. But the database is broken doesn't pass the smell test with me. But with that stinky excuse, he pulled out these coffee-stained calendars. You know those big rectangular calendars that you put on your desk about two feet wide, the month-at-a-time calendars that are like blotters? Well, these certainly were blotters. They were covered in coffee rings and little pencil scrawls and as I would learn later, probably a few sloshes of scotch. Then the guy pulled out a few three-ring binder notebooks with more calendars in them. He finally located one of the burials. He gave me the section, row, and grave numbers, and I said, great, where's that? His reply was to pull out a giant, stained, torn, rolled-up wall map of the cemetery and to point, like I was going to memorize that. Over 11,000 burials, mind you. I didn't find the graves. Here's the thing. When I lived in Indianapolis, I used to go to Crown Hill Cemetery to indulge one of my other passions, taking creepy Victorian headstone photos. You know, the ones where the angels are weeping and stuff, or where there are carved stone dogs with sticks in their mouths, waiting for their masters to return so that they can play fetch just one last time. The ones that terrify you in your sleep and make you wake up in a cold sweat. I love those. Crown Hill is a giant and it is full of creepy Victorian headstones. It's a wonderland. A part of the cemetery was federalized in 1865 to serve as the final resting place for Union soldiers whose remains were returned home and Confederate soldiers who died at Camp Morton in downtown Indianapolis. I can't remember what I ate yesterday, but this stuff I happen to know. I used to live across the street from where Camp Morton used to be. And well, anyway, that's what you do when you're a genie and a history geek. So at Crown Hill, because part of it is a military graveyard, it is so wonderfully organized. They have an online burial locator tool and a card file and a computerized database of burials on site. They're not always completely cooperative with find a grave volunteers, but they do have eight and a half by 11 inch paper maps that they hand out to all grave seekers. It is never hard to find a grave. Never. And they have over 205,000 burials on 374 acres of grounds. But at a place like Baldrick's, it's an absolute nightmare to find one single burial. I took this Baldrick's issue to an online forum for the town where Baldrick's is located. 
And I asked the question, what do you think of taking a group of people into Baldrick's to photograph and document all gravestones using the Find a Grave app? The response was overwhelmingly positive. In fact, some people in the forum said that Baldrick's lost the records of their ancestors' burials and that the family hasn't been able to find them for 25, 50 years or more. Imagine how devastating that is for the family. No one can visit grandpa's or great-grandma's graves, leave flowers, have a little visit, because no one can even find the grave, the people who run the graveyard included. And yes, as I alluded to a moment ago, the place has a rep for hiring drunks who just get sloshed and dig holes. There's no record keeping in place, as I found out. That would be bad on a construction site, but at a cemetery, that kind of negligence and disrespect is inexcusable. But find a grave volunteers, we can make all the difference. Just a few volunteers can save that cemetery for the relatives of those buried there. Through my church's ward, with the young men's and young women's groups, I am planning a spring outing to start the work to do just that. My goal is to have that cemetery 100% photographed by the end of summer. After that, I will take on the questions of copying the giant map down to a simple 8.5 by 11 inch format, making copies for visitors to be able to take away, and creating a simple spreadsheet in Excel for recording all of the graves so that they can be retrieved quickly in the office itself. Those are issues outside of Find a Grave scope, though, so let's go back to Find a Grave. When you volunteer with Find a Grave and you create your free account, you sign up at the main website with a username, a photograph of yourself, because remember, that's good manners, an email account, and you provide your geographic location. You also indicate whether or not you are willing and able to go to nearby cemeteries to find and photograph headstones for family members who request these photos through the site. I recommend this form of service highly for the reasons outlined in the cautionary tale of Baldrick's. If you say yes, when a seeker requests a photo for a memorial, you'll receive an email at the address you provide that says photo request for and the name of the local cemetery. The email will include all of the info about the grave and any special information that the person requesting the photo might have included. If you're on a computer, just click Claim Request from within the email, and you're taken to the Find a Grave website where you can click on Claim or Fulfill. Claim puts it in your queue, and you have a set period of time in which to complete the request, or it goes back out into the request pool for the area. These emails get sent to everyone within a set radius of the cemetery. I think the claim period or the fulfillment period is about two weeks, and the set radius is something like 15 miles. When you have the photo, you can go back and then click fulfill and then upload that photo, thus fulfilling the request. Find a Grave also has this really great app, though, as I said before, and with it, you can access your queue really quickly while you're at the cemetery, take the photo, upload it, and be done. If you have good cell reception, which we do not here on the North Shore of Long Island because water, you can walk through a cemetery and just fire off shot after shot, photographing multiple rows of a cemetery, and fulfilling requests or adding photos to memorials where requests haven't even been made yet, but where there are no photos. It's very cool. 
When you do that, you can fill in all sorts of information that might not already be in that individual find-a-grave memorial, and it can be very useful to users. For instance, if you're asked to photo Mary Smith Stone, and you sign up to take that photo, you might arrive at her grave and find that it's a double stone, and that her husband Melvin, whose name is also on the stone, is also deceased. You can check find a grave to see whether his stone has been photographed too. If not, you can photograph the whole stone, upload it to each of their separate memorials, and then you can get a close-up on her side of the memorial, upload it to her profile, and a close-up of his side of the stone, and upload that to his memorial. By exceeding your brief in that way, you do a favor for Melvin Smith's people. Each memorial created on Find a Grave, like each person in Family Search, has a unique memorial ID number. In the Edit function on the full computer browser version of Find a Grave, you can add spouses to one another. You could add Mary as Melvin's wife by adding their unique ID numbers in that section, and eventually Ancestry will pick up their memorials and their relationship together in searches. You can also add parents to children. And by doing that over a series of generations, build a real family tree with roots and branches on find a grave. And all of this for free. You know that I'm Mormon. While genealogy and family history are part of a larger religious practice to Mormons, they are a spiritual practice to many other researchers. And for still others, it may not be spiritual, but there is some element of connectivity there that they may not be able to explain. I don't know how you define it, but for me, the friends I find on Find a Grave aren't living human beings in the temporal world. They're spiritual beings. It defies explanation to people who don't enjoy the work. In fact, it sounds mad to them, just as explaining contact with a recently deceased friend or relative might sound crazy to somebody who hasn't been in the same position. I don't read minds, I'm not a medium, and I don't do magic tricks, but I feel like I know many of the deceased people I research better than I do the living people I see on a regular basis. I see photos of these ancestors from the cradle to the grave. I read newspaper stories about little and big events in their lives. I read their obituaries and those of their friends. I track their geographic progress through life. I read about their education, their employment, their achievements, their illnesses. I discover their relationships, the children who predeceased them, the spouses whom they lost. I unearth their deepest secrets, like my second great-grandfather, John Horace Warren's respectable Midwestern bigamy, or the identity of my third great-grandfather, because my second great-grandfather, Wiley Franklin Odom, was born out of wedlock in 1867. Only DNA could solve that. There is a respect in which we researchers have a sort of God's-eye view of the lives of our ancestors, because we can see an entire lifetime in a matter of minutes or hours. It's a very odd sensation. And there are times, believe it or not, when words fail me. It can be hard for me to explain how I feel the spirit of my ancestors around me as I do the work of researching their lives, as I untangle the knots surrounding their strange stories, and as I solve the mysteries of the rolling centuries. And when I am working on reparational trees, the feeling is even stronger because I have to work harder 
work the records harder in order to make sense of things that generations have striven to hide. But these ancestors, my own and those of my clients, they make their presence known. They guide me. They pass on messages. And they evince relief and joy at being found. The strongest argument that I can make for doing some level of volunteer work for Find a Grave is this. You can be part of another person's journey to find their ancestors and their journey to find this same connection. You can volunteer in any country across the globe. All you need is a computer, the internet, and a digital camera, or a camera phone. When you do this service for others, you too will experience the spirit for yourself. You will encounter the spirits of the ancestors that you research, and you will help others to do the same. I hope that you will choose to grace others with a little bit of your time and your service using Find a Grave so that they can share in this rare experience. Thanks so much for listening. If you podcast and you want original theme music like mine, email my good friend Kurt Brady at curtisbrady at yahoo.com. Tell him I sent you. He can hook you up with rock, blues, country, folk, pretty much anything you can think of. If you have a concept or a music sample, send it to him. He writes, plays, and records. Would you like to ask an on-air question? I'm in the U.S., so if you're calling from outside the country, use the country code 010, then dial 631-201-0589 and leave a message with your name, location, and question. I'll play it and answer it on air. Otherwise, you know where you can find me. I'm always around. I'm online at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com and on Facebook at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. Follow me on Twitter at Ancestors Alive and on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you have a request, a dispute, a book recommendation, or a question for the mailbag, you can contact me at AncestorsAliveGenealogy at gmail.com. And please, if you find value in this podcast, support me on Patreon and win or earn valuable prizes. Go to patreon.com slash ancestors alive and sign up for any of five support levels ranging from $5 to $25 per month. I need that financial support to keep this virtual classroom going. Have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Join Find a Grave. And above all, expect surprises.